Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning. Well, I got to confess something. Last Sunday I got up and I felt like I had pointed my car in the wrong direction. And I went to my home church and that part was great. But I missed you people. And so it's good to see you. It's good that some of you stayed. And so, I mean, not all week, but it's good that you're back to where you normally sit. You know, it's always fun after a while. I kind of know where to look because some of y'all are very committed to your seats. And so I thank you for that. It helps me know how to pray for you. But today in the message, we are going to be talking about the woman at the well. Our message is illustrated by uh, Melina Clout, daughter of Brandon and Amy. Now, there's a chair. And so can you say thank you to uh, Melina for the illustrations that she did for seeing people like Jesus does. And so this is the sweet sunshine water well. And so I like that picture a lot. So we're going to be learning about a woman who went to a well for water and came back with so much more. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we are still before you. We want to still our hearts. We want to take the moment that you have given us now, and we want to hear from your Spirit. We need to hear, Lord, what your Word has to say to us. We want to hear what we need to grasp and understand, not just to get knowledge, but to hear your heart so that our hearts can beat in tune with you. For we pray it in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to be in John chapter 4. So if you want to look at John chapter 4, I want to uh, be talking to you about a woman at a well. And you know, to do so, I want to begin by confessing something. Have you ever just needed to confess? Well, several years ago, I was driving away from a Panera Bread, and as I was trying to make my way legally through the parking lot, a car suddenly dashed in front of me, and by looking at it, you could tell it had dashed and lost more than once. I started cracking up as I looked at the back bumper stickers that were lined across that car because I thought, you could tell a lot about people by their bumper stickers. The first bumper sticker started cracking me up. It said, don't drive faster than your guardian angel can fly. <laughs> thought that was interesting. The, uh, the second one said, follow me, and then it named a chicken wing restaurant that you hope your daughter doesn't work at. The third one was an advertisement for a tattoo parlor where it says, art meets skin. And here's my confession. At about that moment, I started forming an impression about the person that was in front of me. But it's when I read the fourth bumper sticker, I felt my heart cut. And all I could think of was, am I seeing people like Jesus sees them? Or am I seeing people like the disciples saw them? 
John chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, or just about high noon. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, we're told in the next verse that he had sent the disciples on to the town to go and to get provisions. But here he is at the well, and he looks at this Samaritan woman as she comes up, and he asks her, give me a drink. And I think immediately about where she's at, because you see, this was not turning into the day that she had hoped for. There's a reason why she was coming at noon. If you know anything about Texas and August, you don't want to do your hardest work at noon. Get up early. Get it done. And normally in the course of the day, she would have joined the other women of the town to, go on, to have gone out to the well and to get the water that they would need for that day to go back. It would have been a daily, consistent ritual that was part of their lives. It gave them a chance to kind of share and catch up on what was happening to each other's families. That's not gossip, that's sharing with purpose. But she's coming at noon. She's coming at noon because for her, too many times the words that would have been spoken, the news that would have been shared would have been about her. And she just decided it is better to brave the heat of the day than the scorching tongue of the people in the town in which I live. And as she's going to the well, it gets worse. Here comes 12 Jews. And while there's no record in the scripture that they said anything to her. She knew how Jews looked at Samaritans. She knew that very often when they said the word Samaritan, it could be followed immediately with Samaritan dog. That they were viewed as second class, that they were viewed as not worthy. Matter of fact, there would be those of the Jewish faith who would have walked around the country instead of walking through it. And here's 12 of them. And they left one of them at the well. And like too many other men in her life, he asked for something too. Give me a drink. Verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well. 
and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And while she's thinking of the absurdity of what Jesus just offered, because this conversation started with give me a drink, and now you're telling me you have something to give me. You have water to give me that you're saying not only can you give me water that I won't thirst anymore, it'll be water that wells up in me and that I will never have to be thirsty again. And she's trying to figure out what are you talking about? And while she's in that thought, Jesus is thinking about the reality of her need. You see, you need to know something about Jesus. He always will speak to the heart need in your life. You know, you may come to him and you may be praying about one thing and he speaks about something else and you're going, no, Lord, that's not on point. This is where we are. And he is, no, this is where we are. This is where I need to talk to you today. This is what I have for you to understand and to hear. And until you can hear that, I don't think you're ready for something else. Look what it says in John 4, 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And in that very short sentence, we hear a very quick history of heartache. I want you to know that nobody gets married and gets married and gets married and gets married and gets married that isn't looking for hope, isn't looking to be valued, isn't looking for someone that they can count on, isn't looking for someone they can trust, someone that will see them as they really are and embrace them and love them. And we don't know if in her history, if this was by divorce, if this was by death, we don't know. Here's what we do know. She had a heartache full of problems. And I have no doubt that one of the reasons why she's coming at noon as it could be that one or two of the husbands that Jesus mentioned might at one time have belonged to somebody else in that morning water crowd. So why did he do it? Why would Jesus bring up at this critical moment the greatest hurt in her life? Was it, was it out of social convention that it wasn't appropriate for me to talk to you without your husband present? Was it out of the reality of wanting to somehow help her understand the significance of her need? And I will tell you, she lived her life waking up every day to that. 
You need to know something, that when Jesus holds up a mirror to your life and he shows you clearly where you are, it is not to condemn you. It is rather to show you that the reflection from God back to you is always his grace. It's always grace. And see, sometimes we think that that God, when he saves us, maybe didn't see that corner of our life and maybe didn't see that greatest failing and maybe didn't see the truth of who we are. And this is a passage that reminds us that God knows us intimately, completely, without any veneer. He sees us and says, I love you. I love you. I see you. And I love you. And I want you to know my son. He doesn't show us the mirror in front of us to condemn us, but to draw us to his mercy. You see, like many of you, I grew up having memorized John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if anyone would believe in him, they would not perish, but they would have eternal life. But don't forget the verse that's next to it. John 17, where it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And Jesus today doesn't come to you to condemn you. He comes to you so that you can be convicted of your sin and see the reality of where you are and to give yourself to him with full abandonment to his mercy. That's how he wants you to come. Knowing he knows it all and he died for you. Even today, God's heart is for you to know his grace. He wants you to know it. In verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship that which you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Sir, you're a prophet. And then she turns the conversation religious. Y'all say, the Jews say, we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. We believe that we're to worship here on Mount Gerizim because after all, when Moses was given his final instruction in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, he said that when we came over to the promised land, that the blessing that they split the tribes and they put 
half of the tribes over on Mount Gerizim and then a half on another mount and they said blessings and cursing between the two and this was the mount of blessing and long before Jerusalem was even thought of this is the place where we pronounce the blessings of God and she tried to move it into a religious conversation I want you to hear something God is never impressed with our religion he wants to know do you have a relationship with my son? Do you know me personally? Are you in the family? We're not going to argue about the right day to have church. We're not going to argue about whether you should wear a tie or not. We're not going to talk about whether you should use dice or spinners. We're not going to talk about regulations and rules. We're going to ask one simple question. You're either my child or you're not. Are you mine? And she turned her heart to Jesus and literally went to town with her news. The Bible says in John 4, 27, just then the disciples came back. And they marveled. Think about the, the word there. They were amazed. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Isn't it strange how people seem to always be surprised by what God wants to do? With people, they don't expect them to do it. I'm so grateful God chooses the weak things, and he chooses the things that the world would discount because that let me in. They marveled. And they said, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. See, she's already left her jar. She's on her way back to town. She's in town saying to them, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And so they went out of town and they were coming out. So while they were going back to town, or rather she was back at town, the disciples are trying to get the picnic to go because they're on point. It says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will and the work of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps receives his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And Jesus says, gentlemen, can you turn around and look and see the fields the way I see them? Because I can just see that town starting to surge like ants coming out to that well. And he says, could you just look and see with the eyes that God has? Look, the fields are white and to harvest. Jesus asked them, will you join me in seeing people the way I see them? Will you see them that way? It says in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. I, you know, I'm guessing there were some people in that town that said, how much time did you spend at the well? 
Because it's a long list. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that there is indeed, this is indeed the Savior of the world. And you know, this is an amazing story. This is an amazing story of how God will choose anyone to come into the kingdom. That you don't have to be perfect, you just have to be perfected by him. And it shows this truth that all of us, all of us, if there was a bumper sticker on us, if we had a bumper sticker on our forehead, I wonder what it might say. I mean, would it say thief, liar, You know what happens when you're a child of God? It says, saved, covered by the blood, righteous in Christ. Not perfect, being perfected. What would happen if our lives came with bumper stickers? And you know, as I read this story in John 4, I keep asking myself, am I living and seeing people like Jesus sees them? Or was I, am I still seeing people like the disciples see them? Because you see, there's something that's missing in this story. I just, I just want to pull you to for a moment. This is what I want you to think about. You know what's not in this story? That when those disciples were going to town, and they pass that woman. As she's going to that well, not one of them said, guess who you're about to meet at the well? Guess who you get to meet at the well? They went to town. They bought the food for the picnic. And 12 of them went to town, and not one of them said, hey, guess who's over at the well? Guess who we've been spending time with? Guess who you could come meet? Not one of them. They came back with a hamper or the picnic. She came back with the whole town. Because they were seeing people like they always saw them. And she saw them the way Jesus saw them. Look what Jesus said in verse 38. This is so cutting to my own life. It says this, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Think about this. I sent you to town. I sent you. And you didn't tell anybody. I sent you. And they were ready. And you didn't tell them. But this woman that's known me for less than 20 minutes, she ran back to town. She left her water jar. She didn't care about anything but one thing. Come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She wanted everybody to know about Jesus. 
I think about that when I think about a book I read a few years ago called Surprising Insights from the Unchurched. They went in and they interviewed people in all 50 states and Canada asking questions about why people aren't in church. Why do they not go? I'm not going to share all 10 of the insights. I'm going to share a couple of them with you, but I think you'll find this interesting. Uh, The first is this. The unchurched would like to develop a real sincere relationship with a Christian. You see, many times I'm finding people say, I don't know that people that don't know Jesus really want to be my friend. And the truth is, they do. They just want a real friend. They they don't want you to be friends with them just so that you can share your faith. They want you to be friends with them because you like them and you value them and you can invest in their life. Second, very few of the unchurched had someone share with them how to become a Christian. This was really interesting to me. How many people that identified as unchurched said, I don't understand why my Christian friends have never told me anything about Jesus. While they've ever told me how I could know Jesus as my Savior. No one's ever told me that. They've mentioned church and they've mentioned some things in passing about God, but they've never given me what you're calling the gospel. So why are they still unchurched? Well, there's a couple things. One is, some of them have visited churches. Now, I don't think they would say this about this church, but do you know that not every church is friendly? I mean, I can remember one church that I went and visited, and I sat down. I was roughly about where you are right there, and I sat down, and an older woman came up, and she stopped and looked at me and said, were you planning on sitting in that seat for the whole service? And in that moment, I thought, I can choose to help build her character, or I can scoot over. I scooted over. But there are places that people have gone that just aren't that friendly, or the facilities weren't kept up well, or they brought their child, and they went in and said, I wouldn't even eat in that place, much less leave my child in that place. And I'm grateful for the high standard this church has set to make sure that people are loved and engaged well and that we take care of kids and we take those things seriously. But not every place is this place. But the second is, most unchurched people have never been invited to church. But they're interested in sincere overtures. But they've not been invited. Now think about this. 96% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they're invited. Think about that. 96% said, if I actually got invited, I'd come. Now, sometimes that invitation needs to include lunch. Sometimes that invitation needs to be, I'm going to meet you at that door and I'll show you where to go. Sometimes that invitation is, hey, I'll come pick you up. But the idea is if you're really my friend and I really trust you and you invite me to come to your church, I'll go with you. If if they're invited, they'll come. So here's an obvious question. Are we inviting them? You know that only 21% of people who go to church on any given Sunday will ever invite 
anybody to church. That's only one person out of five. Now think about that for a minute. I, I take this section and I say, okay. Actually, I have to take these two sections and say, first three rows, they're invited, the rest aren't. Think about that. 21% of the people never invite anybody. But here's the kicker. Only 2% of us will ever invite somebody who's actually unchurched. You see, normally we invite people once we find out they're church friendly. They just moved to the area. They were looking for a church home. Oh, you ought to come try our church. But when it comes to inviting people that are genuinely unchurched, genuinely unconnected from the faith, genuinely don't know who Jesus is, less than two out of a hundred of us will ever do that. And if I'm generous and I say that in this room that there's 300 people in this room, I will tell you that means these first two rows might invite somebody that's truly unchurched, but the rest of us just wave as they go on by. And you see, that's what got me when I was looking at that, uh, that car. I saw that first bumper sticker, second bumper sticker, third, the fourth bumper sticker. Because see, I'm forming this opinion. And on that fourth bumper sticker, it said the name of a church. And I realized this church, that church loved her so well that she wanted to make sure they got a place on her bumper. And I thought, God, am I loving people well enough, deeply enough, that they'd want to put a bumper sticker on their car proclaiming to the world, this is a place that I want to be. And so I want to ask you today, as we think about going into the new school years, we think about going into a new season as we go into the fall, as we are moving forward, how are we doing? And I thought, how do I help you? And so I'm, we're going to help you because as a team, we've got these little cards. It says, you're invited. Okay? And on the back of it, there's service times, there's other information, there's a way to plan your visit. Because I thought, how do I help you invite? How do we move from only two out of 98 or 21 even out of 100? How do I get everybody to understand that you can make a difference in someone's life? And so we have these cards available to you in packs of five. But gentlemen, they fit into your wallet. Ladies, they can be lost in your purse. But there's bowls on either side of this auditorium. They're also scattered throughout the uh, church for you to be able to take. And what I, all I want to do is ask you to do this. Would you, over the next three weeks, prayerfully ask God to give you eyes to see people like Jesus? And not to hesitate but to invite. Now, I'm going to tell you, you have to choose between handing somebody a card and making a friend. You make a friend. You be a friend. But there's some of us that need to walk across the street to a neighbor and say to them, I've never talked to you about the most important relationship I've ever had. I've talked to you about the Astros. I've talked to you about the Texans. I've told you about my family, but I'm sorry, but I've never told you about my Savior. 
There's a whole world out there desperate, desperate to meet Jesus. Are they going to meet Jesus because we were desperate for them to know him? Will you bow your heads with me? As your heads are bowed, I just ask you this question. Do you know Jesus? Because if you don't know Jesus today, oh, I want to talk with you. And you can come to the front and I'll visit with you or you can go to the Welcome Center as you leave and there'll be folks there available to talk to you. We'll have deacon families here at the front that can visit with you. But also you may be here today and you know Jesus but you have a need and you need prayer and, and we want to be available to you. But I wonder about all of us if there's not somebody, if there's not somebody's face that came to mind. Somebody that we've met to share the gospel with, somebody that we have meant to take that step with. And Father, I pray that you would awaken in our hearts a hunger, a hunger to see people like you see them. To understand that we are your hands and feet, that you have called us to walk this earth as your ambassadors. That we'd be faithful to take the opportunity to share with people how they can know Jesus. And Father, I pray you give us the courage to even take the step of handing someone a card and saying, hey, you tell me the Sunday and I'll buy lunch. You tell me the Sunday and I'll save your seat. I just want you to come. I want you to come meet my church family. I want you to come and be part of what God's doing in my life. I believe it'll make a difference in your life too. I pray, God, you'd give us that courage. So, Father, in these next few moments, as we stand together, as we sing, I pray, God, you speak to our heart that we, that we would see people like you do. In Jesus, your holy name, amen.